sex therapist Joe Robertson's back with us. Today we're talking about a form of betrayal that can leave people conflicted over how they should feel. Online betrayal and infidelity can range from your partner looking at content they shouldn't be online to messaging other people, even becoming involved emotionally with other people solely on the internet. Joe Robertson, welcome back to Nine to Noon. Lovely to have your time again. Thank you. So happy to be here. Last time we were talking about betrayal and relationships and what people may work through in deciding whether to stay or whether to go or sometimes how to rebuild from, say, an infidelity. And then we realised we had a whole subtopic on that. What happens when that infidelity <laughs> or betrayal happens online? This is because we had a lot of questions or a lot of comments from people about this and they didn't really know, couldn't really make sense of what they were experiencing either. So what is online or, or digital betrayal or infidelity? Yeah, great. So I would say this is a growing area and not surprising given, you know, device use and internet and all that stuff that's continuously growing uh, for everyone. It's basically stuff that's happening online or via technology that isn't consensual in a committed relationship. So it gets confusing for people because often there's, it's unspoken. There, you know, we talk, we think kind of traditionally about infidelity as somebody being intimate with another person but this is actually can create exactly the same type of impact but it's just something that happens online and people often think oh that's not as much of a big deal but it's actually really significant for the partner who's been hurt and they often feel just as hurt as the person whose partner has gone and, and slept with someone else. How common is it as a form or a strand of infidelity? Oh gosh I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't have really good data on infidelity. And, and that's because it's something that people generally don't want to be honest about. And, and that's everyone. That's the person who's done the infidelity and the person who's experienced it. They often don't want to disclose what this, this kind of piece of their relationship because it can feel shameful. Uh, it can feel embarrassing. They often say, oh, I feel like a fool, which is absolutely um you know, that's not reality, that they were not to know that this was happening. But yeah, we, we don't know how prevalent. I do know how prevalent recovery is. So about 70% of couples do recover from all types of um, betrayal and infidelity. So that, that's hopeful. Um, but we don't, I don't know exactly how many people out there in the world are <laughs> conducting online relationships. It's more just whether you're starting to find it coming through more in those seeking help or, or advice. Oh, definitely. And yeah. the a other, lot more. Yeah. yeah. The other issue is, again, defining it as difficult. This could be a full-blown, you know, kind of um, um, relationship that's developing here, or it could just be that one's uncomfortable about how much one sort of, uh, a partner is conversing with someone at work or a friend in a friend group, right? And is that kind of, yeah. the inability to sort of put a finger on it and say it's this, is that part of the part of the sort of emotional challenge sometimes it's 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 wide open for gaslighting isn't it absolutely and gaslighting that happens from more than just the partner but also friends who minimize or family who minimize what you're feeling and experiencing i'll throw in another one that i'm hearing more and more often which is around sexual content online and so that might be um that's most commonly porn but partners feeling like they didn't consent to the amount being consumed, the frequency, or actually the genres, the type of content that's being consumed. And it's not something that couples typically talk really explicitly about. Hey, what are you watching? And am I okay with that? Um, but, but actually, it is a conversation we need to have. 
So, yeah, it's wide ranging in terms of behaviours, but yes, really difficult to put a finger on. And and I always come back to, you know, I don't really care what the world says uh, about whether they think it's betrayal or not. If you feel betrayed, then that's what it is. If you feel harmed and hurt by what your partner has done, then that's all we need to take it seriously. I'm not interested in what your neighbour thinks infidelity is or isn't. Well, let's work through some of that. Online porn is an interesting place to start because is there a tolerance in many relationships now for the fact that one partner or both will view porn uh, and that that is not even necessarily uh, unhealthy, but it can become yep. unhealthy. What conversations should you have around around that? And, and, and how do you go about it, Joe? Yeah, well, people have lots of feelings about porn, and I think it's something you want to discuss in, in the pretty early days, to be honest. I mean, if you're just casually maybe hooking out with people, then you don't really care what they're watching or consuming outside of that um, encounter. But if you're starting to have a relationship with them, maybe you're thinking about having children with them, maybe you've already got children, you're thinking about this person as a, as a co-parent, then it's a pretty critical question. You know, what are their online behaviors and are you comfortable with them? Because watching porn is a type of sexual behavior. It's something that people do with their bodies to, to be aroused and to climax, let's say, just to be really, you know, kind of obvious about it. Relieve themselves. Um, and so it's a sexual behavior. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's a better term. It's an old-fashioned so, um, term. Yeah, it's something, it's something that people it, – it's a sexual practice. It's a sexual activity. And so I think all sexual activity in a relationship needs to be consensual and it needs to be, you know, it might be that one person is fine with certain genres of content being consumed, but actually stuff that's, you know, different kind of ages or different kind of genres that might be more aggressive, for example, are not okay. And so I think it's a, it's a conversation for early on. And it's one that doesn't need to happen with judgment because it's not about saying what's right or wrong for the other person. It's about saying what your personal boundaries are and the person can be okay with that or not. So we're not trying to change each other. We're just saying, hey, this is what's cool for me and what isn't. And is this therefore a relationship that's going to work long term as a result of those boundaries? It's an important conversation. It's important to have early because one partner might say, this is entirely my behavior. This is my business. This is my own time. This is my own brain. Uh, It's none of your business. But the point is in a healthy relationship, this is where, in a committed relationship, this is where it might become something that is, uh, in fact, a betrayal or, or not faithful to the intimate relationship one has with someone else. Now, that's not a straightforward um, conclusion to reach necessarily in a conversation, isn't it? People might be in radically different positions. Yeah, they might be. And and that's actually okay. So I want to take the heat out of the conversation that... Again, we're not trying to to make someone be like you. You know, we're not trying to convince the other person of a position. They're either okay with your boundary or they're not. And everybody has boundaries in relationships that's super normal and really healthy. So we don't shame each other for those boundaries. We don't say your one's wrong and my one's right, but rather what do you need to feel comfortable in a relationship? And if I can't give that to you, then, you know, farewell (laughs) and if for example somebody is really committed to you maybe they don't align with your personal beliefs about porn or other online behaviors but they think that you're more important than those behaviors then great that's cool we can work with that um the frequency of use is another issue here i know the nature of uh maybe for some people but when it becomes habitual you know when you're lying in in, in bed reading a novel at night and your partner's 
you know, yeah, not viewing uh, succession <laughs> <laughs> or succession yes. with a couple of letters changed because there's bound to be one out there somewhere. Uh, yes, that's true. The extent to which it encroaches into a partnership or relationship, that's another factor, right? Absolutely. And we actually do see with people who consume a lot of content, so maybe that's daily, maybe that's every second day and or multiple times a day, that they do struggle with, with real life intimacy a little bit more. Um, they struggle with empathy, actually. They tend to dissociate a little bit more during sex or intimacy. So we do see real real world impacts. They tend to compare what's happening in their relationship or the person's body with what they're seeing online. And And some people will say, oh, no, no, that's not me. That hasn't ever happened to me. But my um, observation would be that once those people stop consuming as much, they do start to see the impacts in hindsight. Flirting, uh, you know, the classic office romance flirt, and um, that can often be picked up by a partner fairly early. (laughs) There'll be steely looks at combined events or whatever. Uh, The interesting thing is when this migrates into an online flirt or an online relationship as well and the flirting is one thing right I mean flirting is exciting for anyone anywhere anytime Um, but when it begins to become a relationship even if just a a friendship Mm. slash emotional relationship that's when a partner really starts to feel it and this can often happen or develop online because, of course, if it's, say, in a work environment, there's a lot more hours in the day than work hours, thanks to online. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, yes, absolutely. And I, and this is one that I see gets really confusing for couples. You know, they don't quite know what to do about uh, work relationships and where the lines are. I would say, you know, wherever there is some element of secrecy or there is some deception. So maybe the person, you know, is messaging another person out from work and then they and then they put their phone away really quickly every time you enter the room uh, or they are really reluctant to give you their phone to, to check something. You know, for me, those are, those are small red flags that there's maybe more going on than, than you anticipate. And it might not be something really explicit going on, but it's just this depth of relationship that's occurring that they feel somewhat uncomfortable about so that feeling of discomfort that maybe if your partner reads your text messages they may not be really happy that's a really key sign that something needs to change and that it's transitioned to an unhealthy place even if you haven't talked about feelings or it hasn't gone anywhere else it can be exciting the flirt and again the online uh, flirting and let's go there uh, if it extends into any kind of um, sexual talk or exchange of intimate photos yeah. etc you're getting into pretty serious territory by then very serious and and, and i want to normalize attraction you know it's it's just really common for people to be attracted to each other physically and or to find someone kind of a, a little bit more exciting than you know roger or susan down the hall and that's okay that's totally fine. It's what we do with that that matters. So, I, you know, I've got friends, for example, and they'll say to each other, they're, they're married, they'll say to each other, hey, I find X, Y, Z really, really attractive. And the fact that they've brought it out into the light, that they're really open and honest about it is super healthy. It's when it's um, pursued beyond attraction that it transitions into flirting and it goes online or it goes into, you know, repeated text messages, etc. talking about 
your relationship with that person, talking about emotional things with that person, that's where you're really in some dangerous territory and you want to be careful. Often it can come out of a sense of a bonded team or an excitement. And, you know, this is the reality for all relationships. Sometimes they're just boring. You're doing the really hard yards. You're not going out and, you know, partying like you used to. You're raising kids and paying a mortgage and, and going through all the routines of the day. Um, and, again, that's where... Um, you know, a really strong relationship in a different environment or a team in a relationship, it becomes exciting. The question is keeping the, the boundaries around it. How do you approach that yes. conversation, especially if nothing has quote-unquote happened? And I bet you've heard that so many times. Nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> but how do, yeah. you, how do you approach that conversation when there's not an incident that sparks a decent confrontation? Yeah, I mean, there's... There's the um, preventative and then the responsive. So the preventative, you know, one example, my my husband used to travel all the time. He was an Olympic coach and he coached female athletes. And so he traveled with these female athletes constantly. And so we had really open, honest, preventative conversations, which was, hey, what's okay for me? What are my boundaries? And when you're traveling, kind of when do things cross the line? And I, and then there was a lot of trust involved, obviously. I ultimately had to believe that he was holding my own personal boundaries. Um, and so that's the preventative stuff that I do think we need to be, we need to dive into. Then the responsive is being able to say to the other person, hey, I'm getting some weird vibes with that person over there, or I think there's somebody that you would typically, you know, be attracted to, and and I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about it. And in a really great partnership, in a healthy relationship, the other person will respect that, and they'll say, oh, okay, thanks, Um, you know, it's good to know, and, and I'll be a little bit more careful. So I, I guess what I want to encourage couples to do is just to talk more often and to have the really brave hard conversations because those are the ones that are most essential most worthwhile for the longevity of your relationship someone who's got themselves into an online relationship with someone who lives in i don't know kazakhstan or america or wherever (laughs) and they're saying it's harmless it's harmless they're on the other side of the world the photo's probably fake anyway um but it's that little frisson of excitement for them. I'm not sure if that's realistic. I'm not sure if that's how it happens, Joe. But could you comment if you are coming across an online relationship with someone on the other side of the world? Yeah, I mean, it's not harmless if it's hurting your partner. If you're keeping a secret, then it's clearly communicating you're not actually okay with it. And if they are uncomfortable with it, if you've told them, then it's not harmless. It doesn't matter if you've just talked about sport. If it's hurtful for the person you're with and invested in, then it's not something to continue. That's This is not about being controlling. It's about being respectful. It's about hearing our partner's feelings and going, yeah, okay, you know, I'll, I'll respect your wishes in this one. If the relationship is more, if, if the Kazakhstan relationship that you've developed is more important and you're protecting it more than the one that you've got here at home, then I'm concerned. That's, that's red flags. What are the conversations to have with the person who's doing the behaviour currently? You've given us some examples already, um, but but what else are the openers, either in therapy or if people can't, you know, can't do counselling at the moment, um, what can they do to open the conversation and, and, and progress the conversation? This is for the person who's doing the, yes, the yes, behaviour? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, I always want to say just absolutely tell the truth. It is 
much, much, much more um, easy to recover if you disclose what's happening as opposed to they discover it. So if you are in a partnership now and you're doing something that you think they may have questions about, tell them the truth and don't hold little pieces of information back. It will come out and it will be more harmful. Remember that people, the majority of people do recover from these, but I would say the stats are much higher for those who disclose rather than there's been a discovery. Because that's and the betrayal the side do, of it, isn't it? The betrayal yeah. is you're the only one left out of the information and that is often what is the most damaging almost. Absolutely. And that's where I call it a non-consensual relationship. So they're not able to consent to the relationship they're in because they don't have all the information. It's partly non-consensual sex as well, if that's what's happening in the relationship, because they're doing something with their bodies. They're putting themselves in a vulnerable position where they don't have all the information about who they're with. So it's actually pretty significant stuff, and that's why it can be so hurtful. So tell the truth, and then I would encourage you to go everywhere and anywhere online and in books and listening to podcasts where you can learn about your partner's experience. The more that you can develop empathy for what they're going through, the faster you will recover and the better your relationship will actually be long-term than it was before. So there's lots of hope, but it does take a lot of work. A lot of feedback or a lot of the feedback that's come in is is actually probably going to be, I hate to say it, another whole series. Here's one, um, another whole <laughs> interview with you. Here's one, and I, I, I doubt you can answer it in time for us, and we might just park it because there are, there are interesting issues here. This person says, I don't particularly like sex, and my partner of nine years takes to porn to get his fix. I don't love that he does it, but I understand that he needs it for a release. I'm not at all interested in porn. I'm too squeamish. I've never watched it. I don't really understand the appeal. I've never asked what kind of porn he watches, so sometimes I feel like we should have sex so he doesn't watch porn. He wouldn't watch it if I asked, but is that fair? A lot going on there. So much going on. Uh, I can I can try to give two points. One, it is fair because, again, it's a sexual um, activity and, and you're allowed to have boundaries. Uh, and two, I'd really, really want to unpack what it is you're, you're, you don't like about sex. And that's another that's another episode. But we can address those things. I think that would be a good one to come back. That disconnect in sexual uh, drive or interest between couples and why it's there and how to and if there is a, an inherent difference, how to manage it. Um, and another one for the next time you come back, Joe. someone talking about hidden money, hidden finances in a secret bank account Ooh, yes. only uncovered after they split. They're two great topics, actually, uh, for another time. So we'll, we'll come back to you with them. Listeners, thank you for your patience. We'll come back and do them fully in another session. Joe, thank you. Joe Robertson, who is a um, sex therapist.